Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. God bless you. It's good to be with you again. Real Life exists to lead people to Jesus and to be a community of grace with a God-sized vision for every generation. And as a consequence, we are a church on the move. So here we are in our new Glendora digs over here. We have been at the Valley Center location for four years and have just recently let go of that lease. And we are now worshiping over here in three services in person. You are probably watching online somewhere right now. Uh, and you can do that anytime you want to. But if you ever come down here, we are now in our Glendora location uh, at three services, 830, 10, and 1130. You can check all that out at reallife.la on the move. And uh, I wanted to thank those who helped bless our new Glendora property by donating to our auction and our, attending our auction last weekend. We had a phenomenal gathering, a beautiful dinner, uh, live music, and a lot of fun bidding on uh, some wonderful contributions that many of you were responsible for. And the auction grossed over $10,000. So that will help us launch our uh, project of uh, re refurbishing some of the, the lawns that turn into mud pits when it's rainy California seasons like this, or even just when we run the sprinklers, uh, our, our lawns turn into mud pits that the kids can't play in. And so we're going to fix those up and make it a more hospitable and welcoming place for our kids and teachers. So that is coming soon. Those of you who are swinging by to visit us, will get to see that live and in person. Uh, we are going to, uh, we're, we're almost now at the very, very tail end of our series in the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at the story of the life of Jesus as told by Luke. And I want to look now because, because we're, we're about to land in uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. I want to look right at the tail end of Jesus' ministry and a story, an encounter with Jesus that's bracketed by something that happens right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. They're like these huge parentheses around the ministry of Jesus. Uh, and they're tied to the two stories that we're going to look at today. Uh, and uh, I love it when I read the text again, read the biblical text again, and I see things that I have never in my life seen before that were always there. And yet in all of my previous readings of it just didn't jump out at me. And, and I saw this uh, sort of amazing, beautiful bracketing that happens in the story of Jesus that has to do with baptism. And the, the transformation that John the Baptist foretold at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the way we see it playing out in people's lives just before Jesus goes to the cross. So with that, let's pray together. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you that you do call us to life transformation, not just to religion and ritual, not just to, to the routine of going to church, but you call us to, to really change from within so that we change the world all around us. Jesus, I pray, pray that by the power of your spirit, you would transform us today. For anybody who's listening and who has yet to come to that point where they, they take a step over that line and say, I want to follow you. Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, call them forward. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, I want to look at two passages from the Gospel of Luke, one at the beginning and one at the end. Uh, and I think right now I'm going to look at the one at the beginning first, and then we're going to circle back to the one at the end. The one at the beginning 
comes at a moment where uh, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, is out in the wilderness and he's baptizing people. Now, baptism is really a new practice with him. If you go back to the book of Leviticus, there were all kinds of washing rituals that the Jewish people were supposed to practice so as to keep themselves ceremonial, ceremonially clean. And when they were in slavery off in Babylon, they, they stayed separate from the culture around them and stayed pure from the culture around them. So by the day of Jesus, there's this, this practice of immersion in water that symbolizes a sort of cleansing to prepare people to enter into the temple. Outside of the temple in Jerusalem, there were pits dug in the ground called mikvahs, which were like big baptismal fonts. And people, before they went in the temple, would walk down into the mikvah, and the priest would pour barrels of water over them and immerse them in water to symbolize that they were being, clean, being cleaned or being cleansed in order to enter into the presence of God. And so John the Baptist now, this prophet, pops up in the wilderness, and he's practicing a ritual that has no history to it. We don't have any moment where God said, John, you're going to start dunking people in water and that's going to be our ritual. They're, they're just similar things in the Hebrew culture. But John now shows up in the wilderness baptizing people. And so people from all over are coming to John to ask what they should do to get their lives right and to be baptized by him. Look at Luke chapter 3, verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, you snakes, in other words. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? In other words, there's a, a punishment coming from God. And if you're still living a, a, a broken and snake-like life, why would you come out here and pretend like you're, you're repenting? He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, live a life that looks like you've actually changed. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as, I, our, as our father. This was a uh, sort of a Jewish brag. We're in the right bloodline. We're in the right descendants. We're of the right nationality. We are God's chosen people. And because we come from our ancestor Abraham, therefore we're right with God. Regardless of how we lived, regardless of what we do, we're right with God because we're in the right bloodline. And John calls that out and says, don't tell yourselves that just because you have Abraham as your, your ancestor that you're okay. For I tell you, that out of the stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. It doesn't matter that you come from the right bloodline. God could just pick up a rock and make it a child of Abraham. It takes more than that. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And again, th this is another metaphor. Everybody who doesn't live a life that's been transformed, that bears the, the good fruit of living righteously, of living, living faithfully, uh, they're going to be cut down and thrown in the fire. It's sort of a, uh, a hellfire kind of a warning. What should we do then? The crowd asked. And you can tell they're, they're afraid. What should we do then? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. And Luke has to tell us even tax collectors, like they're the worst of the worst. Because the tax collectors were taking money from their own people, the Jewish people, to give it to the Romans who ruled over them. Even the tax collectors are coming out to John. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? 
He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So, John, the cousin of Jesus, is, is foretelling of the coming of a Messiah. And people are coming out to, to get their lives right. And, and Luke tells us even the tax collectors are doing it. And John's warning is, don't just come out here and pretend. Don't just come out here and say, well, I'm in the right family line, so I'm, I should be fine. Following God means our lives should be transformed. There should be, there should be dynamic change in our lives when we turn to God. And this is sort of the first parenthesis in Jesus' ministry, because Jesus is going to show up in the next scene. So, so we begin Jesus' ministry with this, this warning that our hearts should be transformed. When, when they're dunked in the water of baptism, it's a symbol of, of being washed clean. And being washed clean shouldn't just be a, a performance. It should be something transformative. Um. That's the opening parenthesis. Now, now, I'm going to read you the, the closing parenthesis at the end of Jesus' ministry before he goes to the cross. And this is in Luke chapter 19. And in Luke chapter 19, uh, we see, again, the, the revisiting the, the theme of tax collectors uh, whose lives need to change. And, and not simply counting yourself part of the descendants of Abraham, but actually living rightly. And this is in Luke 19 at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, which is a city, and, passed it, and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. That means he had ascended the ranks of the tax collectors. And he was wealthy because he had been extorting money from the taxes he already took from his people. Rome, Rome imposed heavy taxes on the people that they conquered. And from that, a tax collector could make a good living by raising what he took from them. So not only was he taking from his own people to give to foreign invaders, he was taking from his own people to benefit himself. This, this, uh, the, the uh, similar situation here was when the American colonies decided they would rebel against Britain because Britain was imposing unfair taxes on them and not giving them a voice. And that's why they had the Boston Tea Party, right? They threw Britain's tea back in the ocean to say, we're not going to buy your tea, we're not going to pay your taxes. Well, the Jewish people in the first century world are being ruled over by the Romans, just like the American colonies had been ruled over by the British. And the, the first century Jewish people want to have, you know, like a, like a spaghetti party and throw the Italian spaghetti into the ocean. I don't know what they ate in Rome back then, but you get the idea. They want to toss Rome out. And so Zacchaeus now represents the worst of the worst because he's making a, a great living. He's ascended the ranks by taking money from his own people and giving it to the enemy. Verse three, he, Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short. He could not see over the crowd. So he read, ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Uh, I like the authenticity of the story here. Uh, it's sort of a superfluous detail uh, that, that, they, that he, Luke tells us about Zacchaeus uh, being short and needing to go find a tree to climb up. Now, I, I can sympathize 
because I'm not a man of great stature, and you do have to plan ahead for things. You have to, you have to think ahead. Am I going to need a ladder for that? Because I, I might, it might be a little out of reach. Uh, so I, I, I sympathize with Zacchaeus on that point. I used to be the tallest person, at least in my family, and now there are two younger people who are just a tiny bit taller than me, and they, they never let me forget it. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now to go some, to somebody's house and to break bread with them, to share a meal with them, was to ally yourself with them. It was to associate with them. You, you count yourself their friend. Jesus is identifying himself with a traitor to the Jewish people, a thief who has taken money from his own people, someone who is corrupt, someone who allows Rome to continue its dominance over the Jewish people. This is exactly who the, the Jewish people hate the most. And Jesus, this now popular rabbi with crowds following him everywhere, has singled Zacchaeus out to make a friend, to associate with. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, now Luke kind of compresses time sometimes. He, he rushes ahead to tell us the punchline of the story. So this, this is probably after lunch, maybe the next day. We don't know how long they were together. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, uh, said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Uh, that's not arbitrary. Zacchaeus knows the Hebrew scriptures, and he's drawing off of Leviticus 22, which says that when you steal from somebody, you should repay them not just what you took, but repay them for the potential loss that they would have suffered in terms of interest or profit down the road, for you have to pay back more than what you took when you stole from them. And so, uh, and so it says in, in uh, excuse me, Exodus 22, when you steal somebody's sheep, you should repay them four sheep to make up for it. And King David will later repeat exactly the same thing. When he uh, hears about someone stealing from somebody else, he, King David will say angrily, he should pay back four times as much. And it's this reference back to the Hebrew scriptures. So Zacchaeus knows that. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. John began by saying, you'd better repent. You'd better change directions. Even the tax collectors come to him. And he says, don't steal from people. And don't consider yourself a son of Abraham just because you're in the right bloodline. What matters is the turn of heart that shows that you're living faithfully. That's the opening parenthesis in the ministry of Jesus. And the, the closing parenthesis at the end is when a chief tax collector comes to Jesus and he repays all that he's stolen four times as much according to the law. He does what John the Baptist says they were supposed to do. He repays what he was supposed to repay. And Jesus declares him a son of Abraham. Not because he's in the right bloodline, but because he's had the right turn of heart. And that captures the, the heart of the ministry of Jesus as told by Luke. For Luke, Jesus was a surprise to everyone, but especially 
to the most devoutly religious. Jesus' heart was especially for the outsiders and the lost, the people who had wandered away, the people who weren't invited into the inner circles. And it culminates in the choosing of Zacchaeus before Jesus enters into Jerusalem, which is what we look at next in Luke 19 and what we look at on Palm Sunday. This is a, a, a pivotal image uh, that's captured here right at the end of Jesus' ministry before he goes into Jerusalem for the last week of his life. Think about baptism. John the Baptist calling people out into the wilderness to be baptized. It was a, a symbol of washing, of being made clean. In the Christian tradition, it's also a symbol of dying to our, ourselves, dying to our sins, immersing below the water like, like into the grave, and rising again to new life just as Jesus rose from the dead at Easter. We celebrate baptism here at Real Life Church. We love baptism. We have, in the last six years of our existence, we have had a baptism on average once every two weeks for all the years that we've been in existence. We have a baptism scheduled for Easter. Uh, and if you have never been baptized but have been thinking about it, Easter is a beautiful moment at which to be baptized. As was the practice in the early church. They would rise early in the morning. They would stand together as the community of faith. They would turn to the west where the darkness was receding and they would renounce evil. And they would turn to the east where the sun was rising and they would confess the risen sun. Baptism was not just a passing ritual. It was it was meant to capture everything that went on in the heart of a believer. And this is important. You, you have to understand what, what Jesus is calling you to is not religious symbolism. Baptism is not magic. It doesn't save you. It's, you can baptize a, a baby to, to symbolize the fact they're, they're being adopted into the, the family of God. But it doesn't guarantee the child a pathway to heaven. It doesn't save the child. Just like it doesn't save you to go to church every Sunday. That's not where salvation comes from. But it's not meaningless. Baptism is, is an important and powerful symbol. It tells you what's going on underneath. Baptism is the symbol on the outside for the grace that's transforming us on the inside. It's like this. There's a, there's a street over here in Glendora called Leodora. And at Leodora, there's this one dip in the middle of uh, the street, which I've never understood what it was for, until this year when all of a sudden it actually rained in California. Now I understand why they have to have a big ditch in Leodora for all the water to run downhill. But there's this big ditch and there's a sign that says dip. But if you don't see the sign and you hit that dip in the road at, at a normal speed, it will separate the top half of your car from the bottom half. Cars have been destroyed at this intersection. The sign that says dip did not make the dip occur. You can have the sign without the dip in the road. Just like you can have baptism without a change of heart. But when the change of heart is really there, the sign tells us what's going on. The sign tells us what to look for. When we are baptized into Jesus, it tells the world, I've been transformed on the inside. And John would say, don't just follow the religious rituals, saying that you're a child of Abraham and think that that counts for anything. 
If you come to be baptized, it's because you come to have a transformed heart. And John would say, look, I'm just baptizing you with water. This is just a sign of what's going on on, on the inside. It's just a symbol. There's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that power that transforms us on the inside. When we follow Jesus, when we invite Jesus in, we invite something that comes with power. It's not just an intellectual assent. I acknowledge the facts of Jesus. You can acknowledge the facts all day long and change nothing on the inside. When we invite the Holy Spirit in, it transforms who we are. And Zacchaeus is the perfect image of that. Try to get in the sandals of Zacchaeus. Imagine what this was like. To be this already little guy who was not respected at all by his own people. He was despised by his own people. He would have been held in contempt. He's headed into this crowd of good Jewish men who have gone to, her, her, uh, gone to hear the rabbi. And he, he knows how these good Jewish men are. Is it likely that he's going to be able to work his way through the crowd to the front or that he's going to get elbowed on the way in by these good, men's who aren't, good men who aren't glad to see him? But he's, he's heard that there's this rabbi who, who takes in people who are not accepted anywhere else. The rabbi who loves prostitutes and adulterers and tax collectors. Where do you think Zacchaeus heard about him? Zacchaeus knows he's lived a corrupt life. He's lived to take money from his own people to profit himself. And it probably wasn't that hard. With all the contempt that he received from them, it probably wasn't that hard to say, well, I'll show you. I'll take what I want to spend it on wine and women. Find some satisfaction in this life. But he still hopes. He still hopes for something more. And he hears that this rabbi has come to town. So he goes and seeks out a tree where he can climb up and hide and watch. What does it feel like to be chosen? What does it feel like to have the one who is a celebrity, whom the crowds adore, Pick you out, not just of the crowds, but of your, your hiddenness in a tree to say, not, hey, you better repent and flee the coming wrath, but rather, hey, I want to be your friend. What does it really feel like? to be transformed in that way that, that baptism captures. To realize that no matter how you've lived your life or what you've gone chasing after, that you are never so far away that the power of the Holy Spirit cannot still reach you and transform you. 
What does it feel like to, to invite Jesus in and know that he's there to stay? That no matter what the crowds think of you, no matter how people remember who you used to be, Jesus has called you his own. The word baptism in Greek, baptizo, in the first century world, in the mouth of Jesus, it wasn't a religious word. Today, when I say baptism, it means only one thing, and it's the religious thing that religious people do at the religious building. That's what baptism is. But in the first century world, baptizo just meant to immerse, to dunk something. And it wasn't used in any religious context at all. You could immerse anything at all. In fact, it was most commonly used by cloth merchants, clothing merchants, who would take uh, clo cloth and dye it uh, different colors so as to make clothing to sell. And, and in the process of, of baptizing it, immersing it, they would immerse it over and over and over again because by being dunked in the, in the dye again and again and again, it would absorb more and more of the color into which it was being dyed. So when it was finally finished, it was a, a garment of different colors. They did this because it made the clothing more valuable to sell. They had all kinds of pretty colors they could dye it in, and it's more likely to be purchased in the marketplace. The early church, when they practiced baptism, would immerse people. Baptizo, I immerse you. And just as a clothing merchant would immerse the cloth over and over again, we believe that the early Christians baptized people, dunking them repeatedly. I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. The cloth came up out of the dye more valuable than it had gone in. Zacchaeus arose out of the presence of Jesus more valuable than he had gone in. He was immersed in the presence of Jesus and it transformed him. And when he arose, he was now a son of a son of Abraham restored to community having paid his debts and turned his life right. When you and I go pursuing this Jesus that Luke recorded for us, it's not a religious ritual. It's not something that we claim for ourselves where we can say, good, look, I'm in, the, I'm in the right family line. When the day comes where I have to stand in front of God, I can say, I belong to the right organization. It's none of that. When we follow Jesus, we are immersed in his presence. We die to ourselves and we are died in his presence. When we arise again, we are changed. We've become something new. This is what Luke wants us to take away from the story. We're almost at the end now. But don't miss the transformations that happen in, in the life of Jesus. People who have lived broken lives come looking to him. 
And instead of chasing them away with condemnation, he welcomes them in. His goal is to love them into his kingdom so that they would be transformed into a loving and holy people. And that call still extends to you and I today. If you've been baptized, remember your baptism and what it means. Not that it's some box that you've checked, but that it represents the transformation that's happened within you. And if you have not been baptized, consider doing it now. Easter is a beautiful time in which to be baptized, and we're already going to have the baptismal full on that day. Whether you've done it before or not, as you walk away from the story of Jesus, don't forget this. When we follow Him, we die to ourselves. We are died in His presence. And we arise changed. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for calling us out of broken places and into the light. Teach us to let go of the things that we've been clinging to to try to justify our lives or fulfill ourselves in the wake of rejection. Instead, Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, call us close to you. Teach us how deeply that we're loved so that we might be free to surrender. And call us into life of mission with you. Send us out into the world to be the voice that points the world towards you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.